It's so great. Thank you again for having me. It's been such a blessing to be in Blenheim for the last couple of days and being with you on a Sunday. If you know the story of trying to sort out when our itineraries worked for a Sunday, it's been two years in the making. So since our last visit, we, I could only do a Friday because I was in transit, but uh, we've been working for two years to get this happening, to just marry the, the itineraries up. And so I'm here. I believe that it's a divine time uh, for, for those that haven't met me yet uh, and know the history of uh, Pastor Shannon and my, Emma and myself. And I met Pastor Shannon and Emma before they were pastors, and uh, he was the music director at a great youth conference down in Invercargill, and I was the speaker there. And Shannon asked to uh, connect, and so we went out for coffee. I'll never forget, it was the zookeepers, uh, and we went out to coffee. And all, I don't re- really remember that much that we said, because it was like an hour of power with Shannon. But I do remember this, because people will forget what you said, people will forget what you did, but they'll never forget how you, how you made them feel. And, and so I remember talking to Shannon, and all I could feel the whole hour was his passion to serve Jesus in the biggest way he possibly is called to. And so I was so excited when I heard about him moving to Blenheim and, and, and creating and being a part of building this community for an expansion of the kingdom of heaven. And I just want to endorse it again that I've been friends with him for so long and I know that he is passionate, him and Emma. And this is the first time I've seen you. I will meet your baby tomorrow as well, which is, a lot, which is awesome. But one of the things is you've got to realize is that you have a very passionate leader. Amen. I mean, who else jumps around song leads like that? <laughs> and that passion, I want to thank God that he has it. I travel the world and I've... Uh, you know, we've been to, my wife and I have been to China and Hong Kong and America. We've done a lot of places and all we work with is leaders. And one of the hardest things to do is to transfer passion. To, to get somebody to love what they do. To sacrifice for what they do. That can be sometimes an uphill battle. It's also my job, so it's Okay. <laughs> But being in ministry and pastoring myself, as well as traveling and consulting, I've seen a gamut of leadership uh, styles. And I just want to, again, keep saying it is such a blessing to be in the house of Shannon to this morning and Emma. And I just thank you that you decided to partner with them for the city of Blenheim. And it's a great city. The weather's been very kind to this Australian. <laughs> very kind. I didn't have to wear three layers. Uh, in Vicargill, I would. And uh, that's just been, been, I've seen more of New Zealand than I have of Australia, to be fair. So I have my New Zealand suitcases just packed with all my thermals when I need to travel between like May and August. <laughs> so this morning I really wanted to just bring into, a, into your minds and hearts a thought of what it looks like to declutter your life. To declutter yourselves from things that were once good but not great. Jim Collins once said that good eventually disappears. And we have a choice whether we stay in the trajectory of good, which then becomes mediocrity, which then disappears. Or we can choose to constantly, proactively transition to great. Because 20 years ago, the technology that was good is now dead. And so in our mindsets, and now there are things that are sacred that never change. But then there are things that God is expecting us 
to grow into and to innovate. I would like to say this to you. Don't be, don't be blockbuster in the world of Netflix. Don't be Nokia in the world of smartphones. You know, the, the Nokia at their board meeting said when they were, they were written off by Microsoft for $8 billion. They were written off as a bad debt. This is Nokia, the most established, crafted mobile devices. And this is what the chairman of the board said with tears streaming down his face when they were written off as an $8 billion bad debt. But we never did anything wrong. I'm not saying anybody's doing anything wrong. My question is, is can you see the vision that God has for you and are you proactively going after it? Even, even poor, you know, lay aside the weights that hold you back and run the race. It means there's movement, just like the Bible. It's not a static report. It's a moving narrative. And so for us here, I, you know, the word that I want to bring to you this morning, I also know that we have a, a, a night service at 6.30, and I really want to have fun tonight. I'm going to teach on why Jesus cast devils into pigs. Why? <laughs> like, really? Isn't that one of the stories where you, you hope your friends don't talk to you about it over dinner? And... And why he talks about eating flesh and drinking blood and why he spits in the dirt to heal a blind man. Like everything, there, there's so many times in Jesus' story that you go, that's just weird <laughs> and awkward. Like we, we, we look at it and go, let's just go back to John 3.16 because that's the nice one that we can understand. But what about all the stuff that he did that disrupted? He was a divine disruptor. So we're going to go through history, context, euphemisms and why Jesus did what he did to disrupt his culture, to disrupt his world, to see the kingdom of heaven established. So I want to encourage you, come tonight, and you'll get to answer some of those weird questions that you've had about the Bible. So it's time to declutter. It's, a, it's time to move forward. So let me just introduce you to my family before I jump into the Word. That's my wife, Allison, and my little girl, Elizabeth, and my son, Isaiah. She's Miss Sassy, and he's just a mini-me. So people see him and go, we know who your dad is. The midwife, when he was born, said to my wife, wow, you really didn't get a look in, did you, love? <laughs> but let's talk about family. Let's talk about understanding how family works and that actually we need to learn how to declutter ourselves even from things that are normal to us, that are good to us. But sometimes we've got to choose the greater choice, which means we've got to let go of some things that are holding us back in mediocrity. So we're going to talk about Genesis 37 and Joseph and his family. But before I tell you about Joseph's family, let me tell you a little bit about mine. Um, my brother and I, whilst there's some similarities in how we look, uh, he has black curly hair. There's the difference. We're similar height. We don't come from a tall family. And we, we have some similarities, but quite large differences. And one of the big differences is I'm a very, very... Uh, cut and dry kind of person when it comes to throwing things out. I enjoy moving house, not for the sake of just moving house, but because I get to take a garbage bag through my house and chuck out stuff I don't want anymore or need anymore. I am the anti-hoarder, the opposite of. 
And I mean, there was so much joy when I just grabbed piles of stuff that I found in drawers and I just dump it in a bag. There's a satisfaction I feel in my soul as I drag that black bag out my house and go, I don't need you anymore. I'm making room for the new. But my brother is the opposite. He'll save a can of Coke from a plane trip because it was a cool size. Like, this is, this is the brother that still has clothes in his wardrobe or had clothes in his wardrobe from the age of 15. He's now 29. But because they still fit him, he's like, well, I just, why, like, they're okay. The only problem is like four fashion cycles have gone through. <laughs> right? And so, and so he, he recently got married. And before he got married, he was engaged, he's engaged to this beautiful woman, Joss. And Joss, now if you know the department stores in Australia, there's a department store called Maya. And she worked in the menswear department. I used to work in a menswear store. And so I used to buy David all these fancy new clothes, designer label stuff for birthdays and Christmas. And he'd be like, oh, this is amazing. Thanks so much. It'll go into his wardrobe. It's a black hole of fashion. And he put it in there. And then, and then I'd be like, Dave, we'd be at a party or something. And I, I'm seeing him wear this old shirt from God knows when. And I'd be like, Dave, how can you be wearing that shirt? I'm his brother. I'm allowed to ask, why are you wearing that shirt? I bought you like this really cool. Why aren't you wearing that? And he's like, oh, you know, I, it, it's so new. I'm trying to save it for something like really good. And, and I felt like this was a bit lonely. I haven't worn it in a while. <laughs> like, what's wrong with us? Our clothes have feelings? <laughs> like you'd hate for a pair of shoes to get lonely because you haven't worn it for long enough. <laughs> right, and so, and so Jocelyn and myself... We decided to give him an intervention. <laughs> Except he wasn't there for the intervention. <laughs> and, and so what we did was, we, he was overseas with my parents, but we had keys to the house. And so my wife, Jocelyn, and myself, we went into the house, and we looked at his wardrobe, and we just bagged everything. That wasn't, less than, that, that, was, that wasn't less than two years old. So we took it and we bagged it. Like, he got hand-me-downs from my time when I was wearing baggy cross-colored jeans. Now, if you're in my generation, you know what they, what they were. And so I'm surprised he didn't have a hyper-color in there. So we're putting it in, putting it in the bag, and he comes home, Right? And there's these four bags sitting in his room. And he's like, what have you all done? And we say, this, we set new rules. We're like, Dave, here's the new rule for your wardrobe. If you want it, you have to find it. I mean, it was Jocelyn that stopped me from throwing it all in the bin. So, or giving it away, but I would have thrown it. So here's the deal. She, Jocelyn and Alison said, no, let's not go that far because I'm his brother, I'd kind of get away with it. But let's be kind. Let's leave it in the bag. And so if he needs something, he can go get it. Because here's the problem. I used to go with Dave. Dave, let's go, get, let's go buy a new shirt. We've got an event coming up. Let's go do something. You know what he'd say to me? Oh, Andrew, what do I need a new shirt for? Look how many I've got in my wardrobe. 
See, he couldn't make room for something new because in his mindset, he was already full. He'd already reached maximum capacity. So he goes, no, I don't need new church. But see, the perception was a lie because he actually didn't have a full wardrobe. He had a wardrobe full of clothes, but some useless clothes. Do we have some useless mindsets that we need to get rid of and beliefs? And we're like, why do we still think like that? Why are we still doing that when we're going this way? And so we bagged it. And so the rule of thumb for him was, if you want it, you have to find it. And if you find it and you love it, put it back. You know, we never took anything out of those bags. Because all his good stuff was now visible. <laughs> all the stuff that was worth something, all the stuff that, that was actually tailored to his, his, his fit, tailored for his design, was now visible. Have you ever felt like in your life you need a wardrobe declutter? That you go, actually, I don't need that. That doesn't fit me anymore. That's not who I am anymore. And, I, and instead of trying to fit more in, we need to get rid of more stuff and then to see the value of who we really are, the real identity of who we're called to be. So David's still my friend. He's still my brother. He still loves me. I was still his best man at his wedding. I made a cracker of a speech, and he still loves me. Okay, so we're all still good. But it's time to ask ourselves, so what are we wearing? What are we wearing? What do we have access to? What do we put on? In the Bible, it talks about the robe of righteousness. So what are we wearing? Put on Christ, the Apostle Paul said. My question to you is, what are you wearing? Or is your wardrobe really decluttered? Or is it full of stuff that actually isn't yours anymore? So part one, we're going to break Joseph's story into three parts, and each part has something to do with what he wears. Now, Israel loved Joseph more than all his children because he was the son of his old age. Also, he made him a tunic of many colors. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peaceably to him. That's an interesting dialogue if you think about it because dad took him to buy a new coat and when, they, they came, when he came back, his brothers hated him. I can understand being a little bit jealous, going, hey, that's not fair. How come he got a new shirt and I didn't? But there is a deep-seated hatred for what he is wearing. He got a tunic, and now the rest of us, we hate him. It goes on. Say, so now Joseph had a dream, and he told it to his brothers, and they hated him even more. So the tunic is a catalyst for all this hatred to come out. Something Joseph is wearing is stirring up his brother's anger. And they hate him. And then God gives him a dream. And he decides to say the dream, declare the dream. And they hate him even more. Then it goes on and says this. They hated him because of what the dream interpretation was. But then he dreams still another dream. There's this catalyst of what he's wearing. And that opens up something in his life to get a dream from God. And so he gets this dream, he decides to say it out loud, and gets hated for it. Then he has another dream, and they hated him around all of those things. Now here's a question. Did Joseph ask for the tunic or the robe? No, he didn't ask for that. 
the father, his natural father, gave it to him. When you have a dream and a dream like that, who gave him the dream? Did he ask God for a dream? No. God gave him the dream. And he, he got given these things because he carried something on his life. There was favor on his life. His father gave him favor, but so did the heavenly father. And he gave him this dream, and he tells it to his brothers, and they hate him. But if I was God, and let's thank God I'm not, but if, if I was God, and I gave somebody a dream, and the people around them hated them for that dream, I would be like, whoa, maybe I'll stop giving him a dream. God's like, I don't care. I'll give you another one. Yeah. Yeah. Come on. Yep. I'll give you another one. Oh, or do you think that I'll stop favoring you because the people around you don't like your favor? You think, I, you think their opinions mean something to me when I give you a dream? And, and so they hate him and they hate him and the tunic starts something. See, Joseph was favored, but he was flawed. And this is where his flaw was. He was immature in the favor. You ever met a young person that knows they're gifted and favored, but they never shut up? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and everything is built around this, 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 this gifting or this dream that God has given them. And, and I get it. But see, Mary was different. Mary was highly favored. But when God gave her a dream, what did she do? She hid it in her heart until the appointed time. So you can have favor, but if you mix favor with immaturity, you end up declaring things to people that don't need to hear what God has shown you. And because they don't understand it, they hate you for it. See, Joseph, in maturity, should have said, God, how does my dream help me build my family? Not isolate me from it. Because yes, if they hate me, they can hate me. But at least I'm doing something to build their life. Right? And so he gets this dream. He gets this tunic. He's favored, but he's immature. And I get it. He's a young man. He's getting all these downloads from heaven. And he decides to say it out loud. But one of the gifts of the Holy Spirit is called the gift of shut up. <laughs> to clean it up, it's called the art of restraint. I'm not looking at anyone bumping people next to them. I'm, I'm just because I'm gonna start preaching to you then. No, it's it's one of those things where if you read the book of Proverbs, like if I had to write a commentary on the book of Proverbs, what you'll find is it'll say this. If I had to like put it in a tweetable commentary, the Andrew Stone version of Proverbs is hang around the right people and keep your mouth shut. Proverbs summed up. Why? Because God has appointed times for prophetic release. But he'll show you before time, before it happens. So they hate him. And, and watch this. So it came to pass when Joseph had come to his brothers that they stripped Joseph of his tunic, the tunic of many colors that was on him. Then they took him and cast him into a pit. And the pit was empty. There was no water in it, which the writers are trying to say it was a pit of death. There's no water and it's dry. It's, there's nothing there to sustain him. And they sat down to eat a meal. Think about how callous this hatred is. They just didn't throw him into the pit with the, the, the robe though. They wanted to take what he was wearing because it was a symbol of their hatred toward him. 
So they throw him in this pit and they go, oh, look, you'll probably die here. Let's go have dinner. Think about how callous that is. Like that's a level of hatred that surpasses you having an intervention for your brother's wardrobe. <laughs> that this level of hatred was so deep that they even only sold him for like $120. A meal to this group of people would have been a meal of reconciliation. Usually meals were always built around, we are okay with each other. What, in, what, what, what intrigues my mind and my soul while reading this particular scripture is this, is how could you throw your youngest brother in a pit and then go to dinner, which is a symbol of reconciliation, and forget that he was there? You want to see levels of hatred? <laughs> I wonder what dinner conversation was like. So they took Joseph's tunic, killed a kid of the goats and dipped the tunic in the blood. Then they sent the tunic of many colors and they brought it to their father and said, this is another level of hatred and callousness. We have found this. Do you know whether it is your son's tunic or not? Because we never noticed you gave it to him. Does this look like his? Because we don't know. Did you give it to him? Was this your gift to him? We never noticed. But I've always wondered, why the tunic? Why do they, why, what was the catalyst? Until I realized this. That the kind of tunic or robe, the Hebrew word for it is called ketonet pasim. And, it, and it's described like this, a gown extended to the extremities, the hands or feet, since it is plural and not dual, and thus long gown with sleeves. The ketonet pasim was the kind of garment that children of kings wore. The, garments, the garment probably was associated with people who were royalty, with officials who had high rank in the palace, or with people who had an exalted position in society. The fact that Jacob, or Israel, gave Joseph a ketonet pasim means that Jacob treated Joseph as a royal person, a person whom he considered to be above all his other sons. Now I get it that when he, was, when, when he got a robe put on him, this tunic, this ketonet pasim, that when his brothers saw it, it wasn't just dad went shopping with Joseph. It was, are you kidding me? Is he our new boss? Are you telling me that he doesn't have to work in the field because it's a long gown extending to the hands and the feet, which meant I oversee the work, but I don't do the work. See, the tunic robe was given to the firstborn or heir of son in authority. That sleeve just means he didn't have to work in the field like the others, which makes perfect sense in the story of the prodigal son in Luke 15 when you realize that the elder brother was seething with, with anger because the younger brother had come home. And what's the first thing that the father restores to the prodigal? He says, get me my best robe. He says, get me my best robe, a ketonet pasim. He says, get me that best robe because I'm going to clothe this, this boy and it's going to cover his hands and his feet, which means he doesn't have to work to gain my favor again. But the elder brother, where's the elder brother when he hears the party? He's in the field, which meant he wasn't wearing a ketonet pasim. Did he have access to one? Absolutely. But he decided to live as a slave in his father's house rather than a son. Because when you live as a slave, you have right to fight for things that are rightfully yours, but you like to earn them. So 
He says to his father, I have, I have, and you never gave me so much as a young goat. And the father the whole time is like, are you serious? You're asking for a young goat? The fatted calf is inside the tent. You, you, want, a, you want a happy meal or you want a buffet? And so this, this elder brother gets so angry because what has been restored to the younger brother is a robe of favor that says you don't need to work in order to gain what is rightfully yours. Who wants to have a wardrobe change this morning? Come on. <laughs> Come on. So Joseph had favor, Joseph had identity, but Joseph lacked maturity. So if you were young or old, but usually by the time you're more mature, you've learned a few lessons on the way. But if you were younger in here and you've got a gift on your life and you're favored, you need to be led by the Holy Spirit because watch this. God gave Joseph a dream, but he never told Joseph, go and tell your brothers. He said, I'll give you a dream. What you do with it, you'll have to deal with it. So then we come down to Genesis 39, Joseph and Potiphar. So he's sold into slavery. Potiphar buys him as a slave. So you've got to realize he's gone from wearing a ketonet perseem to being auctioned off like livestock, standing on a stool naked in chains. At that point, I'm sure he's thinking, I should have just kept my mouth shut. Have you ever had that situation? Where you suddenly realize... I'm standing in a situation because I was right, but stupid. I was right, but I should have just kept my mouth shut. Because here's the thing. Joseph was right. You hear me right? I've heard from God. And the Holy Spirit's like, yeah, that was for you. Shush, shush, shush. Shh. And they're like, but I've got to say it because I'm Right. I need to declare it. And, and the Holy Spirit's like, shh, 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 shh. And I know it is my time. <laughs> Moments after those situations occur, you're usually going, yeah, I was right. God spoke to me. I should have kept my mouth shut. <laughs> but this is where he's favored and framed. So he's got favor. In Potiphar's house. We read the story. We know he gets favor. See, favor never left Joseph. The practical application of it did. So he was immature in the first story. He's framed in this one. So when Joseph went to the house to do his work and none of the men of the house were inside, that she, this is Mrs. Potiphar, caught him by his garment. His clothes just keep getting him in trouble. Caught him by his gum. That's why we need a decluttered wardrobe. Saying, lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand and fled and ran outside. And so it was when she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and fled outside that she called to the man. And there was this big, you know, call in the judicial system of he, this is what he tried to do, blah, blah, blah. All right, so there's the story in a nutshell. But we've got to realize something that Mrs. Potiphar wasn't some Mills and Boone's novel 
because she was so sad and she, Mr. Potiphar was mean and they didn't love each other and everything. And she loved Joseph with all her heart and they wanted to run away together and they wanted to have this life starting new somewhere else right by the Nile River. And they wanted to have this story and start this brand new. This wasn't that. This wasn't Mrs. Potiphar being romantic. This was Mrs. Potiphar saying, you're my slave and I own you. This was Mrs. Potiphar saying, didn't we buy you? Didn't we buy you? Which is interesting because you look at it and you go, hold on, but wasn't he favoured? But he's favoured, but he's still a slave. See, his garment was sleeveless now. He wasn't wearing a ketchup piscine. So he could labour and work in the house and feel representing slavery in his powerless state. His garment was a constant reminder of what immaturity had cost him. His garment was used against him because he had limited influence and no recognized identity. So he was mature now because of the decision that he made, but he lacked identity. In the first instance, he had identity and favor. In this instance, he had maturity and favor, but he had no identity. Joseph had favor, Joseph had maturity, but Joseph lacked identity. See, here's some life applications from his garment issue with Mrs. Potiphar. Is number one, favor can give you a false sense of security if your identity isn't acknowledged or celebrated. A favored slave is still a slave. And usually there are major control issues when you live in an environment where you can't say an honorable no. Now, I'm not talking about having a fight with somebody, going on a Facebook and just ranting. I'm talking an honorable no. But the amount of people that I speak to and, and, and do life with and lead and consult and do all those things that I say, have you ever thought of decluttering this part of your life and stepping into this? And they go, no, 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 but we've got favor with our boss. I'm like, oh, yeah, how much favor you got? Have you ever told them no? Like, oh, what, what do you mean? Tell them no. I'm like, you do three times the amount that you meant to and you've never actually challenged them to say, hey, is this even part of my role? How do I... How do I do this? My family's suffering, all this stuff. It's like, oh, no, no, but we have favor. I said, no, you don't have favor. You're favored because you always say yes. See, a favored slave is still a slave. So we need to step back and go, are we favored just because we're doormats? Are we favored just because we're always in agreement? Are we favored just because we're so like, Nice. Or maybe we need to challenge the environment that we're living in. And so I need to take some old clothes that once brought me favor, but they actually remind me of a slavery that I once was in. I need to let go of that. And then finally, he's thrown into jail. And then two years later, he gets put before Pharaoh. Now, in those two years... It says that he has favor with the jail master. Everywhere Joseph goes, he has favor. Everywhere. It's... But in the first instance, he lacked maturity. In the second instance, he lacked identity. I don't want you to live in favor as a slave. I don't want you to live a life where favor is subjective to you losing your identity. But this is where Joseph is favoured and favoured. 
So Pharaoh awoke, and indeed it was a dream, and now it came to pass in the morning that his spirit was troubled, and he sent and called for all the magicians of Egypt and all its wise men. And Pharaoh told them his dreams, but there was no one who could interpret them for Pharaoh. See, Pharaoh's got this dream. Nobody knows how to interpret it. And you know those magicians are worth something to him because he calls on them in his distress. They've obviously been able to do this before, but this time they can't. See, Pharaoh is having a God dream. God is giving him a picture of the future. But that means that he needs to meet somebody that also understands God dreams. But those God dreams to Joseph got him in trouble. Have you ever had a gift on your life? You've had a passion in your heart. You've done this outworking of it. You've got a dream from heaven. And in immaturity, it's come out and hurt you. And in that place, you go, and this is your words, I will never do that again. I'm never going to do it again. I was called to be a worship leader. And the first time I got up there, I lost the songs. I didn't know my pitch. I, didn't, I lost it. I just, I'm never going to do it again. You might be a football player. You might be a businessman. You might have said, God, you've given me a dream for business. And so you start a business and the first one fails. Or you lose money in your first financial year. Whatever it might be. And then God sets somebody else up to bring you back to your original design. And says, I need you for your business acumen. And you're like, yeah, but, but didn't you see that I just failed? And, and they're like, yeah, no, no. See, God gave you the dream. In immaturity, you exposed it and lost traction. But it doesn't mean that God removed the gift. Sometimes our gifts lead us to our biggest failures that lead us to our biggest fulfillment. See, the very thing that destroyed Joseph in immaturity was now redeeming him in maturity. Who needs a redeemed gift this morning? There are two, Dr. Miles Monroe said it this way, that the richest place on planet Earth are the graveyards in every town. Because the potential of that person just never got exposed, outworked. Because a dreamer needed to meet another dreamer. What in your immaturity or failure do we need to get out of our wardrobe, declutter it, and move on from it so that the people in the world can come to you and go, can you help us solve this problem? Because their issues, you have the answer to. Then Pharaoh sent and called Joseph and they brought him hastily out of the dungeon. But Joseph first shaved himself and watch this, changed his clothes. Why? Because you can't take the prison into the palace. You can't take 1997 into 2019. You can't take 
1972 into 2019. Are there things that are sacred? Yes, they're like heritage-listed buildings. They're untouchable. I get that. But in order for the good of the community, for the good of your business, for the good of your family, for the good of your own soul, and it's mine and it's the emotions, what is God trying to say? Can we intervene in what you're bringing into this year? Can I intervene in your wardrobe, what you're going to wear? Because I don't think that the prison's going to be okay for the palace. I think you need to let go of what could have been holding you back from all those years ago. Garments that other people put on you. It's time for you to get clothed by the king, by the father. A ketonet for seeing, but he, Joseph, is smart. He changes his clothes. Now, let me give you a very quick corporate idea of what Joseph just did. He shaved himself. This is very key culturally because Egyptians hated hair. Hebrew people loved hair. So... Hebrew people saw hair as a sign of wisdom. Egyptian people saw it as a sign of, of hygiene or lack thereof. So the Egyptians didn't like hair. So Joseph's smart. He's like, I am not going back to prison. And so he built rapport. Now, rapport as an acronym is R-A-P-P-O-R-T, right? So that's rapport spelled. But as an acronym, it's really all people prefer others reflecting themselves. I said again, really all people prefer others reflecting themselves. So Joseph was just as strategic as he was spiritual. And he went, you know what? I'm going to walk out there and I'm going to make Pharaoh look at me and go, he's one of mine. So he shaved himself and was, he changed his clothes and made himself presentable. How did he make himself presentable? They would have put on him a colorful robe because Egyptians love color. They would have put on him a colorful robe. And I'm sure when they put that robe on him, he would have gone, Oh, this feels good again. He was back in the place he needed to be, clothed in what was rightfully his. See, his Egyptian robe, the robe that Joseph was given, was one of royalty, power, and authority. It had sleeves, which meant he didn't have to labor in the field like the others. It was colorful and brought attention to his position in the nation, except this time, no one could throw him in a pit. Nobody could throw him in a pit. Because Joseph had favor, Joseph had identity, and Joseph had maturity. This is like the triple threat of favor. In John 19, says this, Then the soldiers, when they had crucified Jesus, took his garments and made four parts, to each a soldier apart, watch this, and also the tunic. It means Jesus had two garments with him. The first one that they tore up into four pieces was the one that Pilate had given him to mock him. They put a purple robe on him to mock him as king. And so they tore it up into four parts and gambled for it. But, says this, and also the tunic. It's the same word that describes Joseph's tunic or robe. It's a ketonet pasim. And it says, now the tunic was without seam, woven from the top in one piece, and they gambled for it. But how come they didn't cut it up? Because it was worth too much. It was a garment that was worth a lot of money. So they gambled for it. But that meant Jesus wasn't wearing it anymore. And why would he not wear the ketonet pasim anymore? It's because on the cross, he did a divine exchange of wardrobe. 
a divine exchange of wardrobe, which means Jesus exposed his hands and feet and finished the work and exchanged his garment to cover our hands and feet. He gave up the fact that he didn't have to do the work to have access. But he said, no, no, no. I have to remove this garment and place it on humanity so that it covers their hands and feet so they don't need to do the work. I will do the work for them. Finish it at the cross. Beat it in the empty tomb and walk out. But I have to do that finished work so that humanity doesn't need to do the work. We are free this morning because Jesus gave us his ketonet piscine. He let it go. He said, you don't do the work. I'll finish it for you. So here's some life applications. If I could have the musicians up. Is that how we close the service? Yep. So here's some life applications. Having favor is not enough. Favor without identity and maturity is incomplete. Favor and immaturity can become narcissism, like Joseph in the beginning story. Favor and maturity becomes generosity and makes people that once hated you bless you. So here's the challenge. is which brothers, Potiphar's and Mrs. Potiphar's, do you need to forgive? Because I, I really love the narrative of this story, but I then wonder that when Joseph was the prime minister and the second only to Pharaoh, and he was wearing his robe, I wonder how many times he walked through the courts of Egypt and there's Mr. and Mrs. Potiphar over there. I wonder how many times they were scared to walk into the courtroom because Joseph at any time could have had them killed. Yet it never says that. Because see, when you're wearing a ketonet piscine, you pick your battles and you don't need to fight with anything inferior to you. So when clothed in Christ, we are the recipient of a divine exchange. And are you willing to lead in 2018 and now that we're coming to the end of 2018 into 2019 with a clear conscience. Jesus gave us his ketonet piscine. That's why Paul, you can be wearing a robe of righteousness. You are clothed in Christ. He finished the work, so we wouldn't have to. And so now from the posture of our heart and our belief is, are we wearing a ketonet piscine? What things in our spiritual wardrobe and even maybe natural wardrobe do we need to get rid of so that we can only see what God has for us. We're not striving. We're not trying to earn it. But we're trying to say, Jesus, you clothed me. What does my new wardrobe look like? What does it look like? Would you stand up and let me pray for you this morning? And just with every eye closed and head bowed, I want to just pray over you. And maybe this could be your moment with Jesus where you say, you know what? I've been wearing some things that are inferior to my fit, to my design. It has been given to me from other people, words and belief systems that have held me back. And now Jesus, through the power of his Holy Spirit, wants to give you a wardrobe intervention. So on this day in 2018, I hope and pray that you can look at your spiritual wardrobe and say, you know what? I'm getting rid of a whole bunch of stuff. I'm getting rid of old things that have held me back, inferiority complexes, rejection issues, insecurities, because I don't need them anymore. Jesus gave me a new wardrobe to wear every single day, and it's favoured. 
It has maturity and I have identity in it. I don't need to wear anything else but the clothing that Jesus exchanged for me. So Father, right now we come before you because you are a loving, loving, good Father. And you clothed us. You clothed us in a ketonet pasim, which meant we don't have to finish the work or do the work or earn the work or anything, that we step into favor and we outwork the kingdom, but we're not working for the kingdom. But we're going to outwork it with favor, with responsibility, with sustainability. Lord, we just thank you that you cover our hands and our feet. And that everywhere we go, we are an ambassador for the kingdom. Everywhere we go, we have the Father's favor. And so for every family represented here, for every business, for this community in Blenheim, Lord, I just pray right now that there would be a wardrobe shift, that there would be a clothing exchange. And for some of you, I know for a fact that you need to go home this afternoon and you need to go through your natural wardrobe and you need to give it a good declutter because there are some things in there that actually marry up to old spiritual hang-ups and old soul issues. You need to take it out and get rid of it. But Lord, you, we just thank you that you are a declutterer, one that wants us to live with clarity, one that lives, wants to live, us to live with, with boldness, to say, this is who we're clothed in. And we're not going to live with an inferior designer, but we're going to live and be clothed in the superior King of Kings designer. It's the question of now we can ask each other, so who are you wearing? And we say, the King of Kings. Oh, who are you wearing? Oh, the Father. Oh, who are you wearing? The power of the Holy Spirit. Because in that Ketonet Pasim, all the authority of heaven is your inheritance. So Lord, we just bless this family. We bless this church. We bless their children's children's children. And God, we just thank you that you gave us a divine exchange. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Well, thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for allowing me to speak into your life. I really encourage you to come tonight. We're going to have so much fun with the history of the Bible. And so invite your friends, invite, invite your kids, invite your nieces and nephews, the ones that are like, oh, the Bible's boring. It's not boring. We can have a lot of fun with it and see what Jesus actually did. He was so amazing as a leader and as a disruptor. So God bless you. Have an amazing lunch. And I'll see you at 6.30 tonight. God bless you all real good.